0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Um, first of all, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. If you're, We're going to take on the last verse of Matthew 5 and then the first verse of Matthew 6, uh, Matthew five forty-eight and 6, 1. And if you're a user of the Bible app, please feel free to open up that app, find our live event, and you can track along right now with those scriptures and sermon notes and so forth. Um, Throughout uh, Matthew chapter 5, what Jesus has been doing for us is painting for us a picture. The kind of people who are welcome in the kingdom. That's an important question. What kind of people? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Even those who are struggling along the way, they are welcome into God's kingdom. You don't have to have all your stuff together, Uh, you don't have to find yourself in certain circumstances. Uh, You are welcome in God's kingdom, and that is the grace of God to us. And then, uh, he, he moves on um, to chapter five, verse 20. And he says, there is a genuine kind of goodness, a genuine goodness that comes from God, that the, the word that we, uh, that the Bible uses is righteousness. This genuine goodness then permeates our lives and it penetrates down to the deepest parts of who we are. And then that bears fruit in us. So when we sow righteousness, this is the way Hosea says it, when we sow righteousness, we get the opportunity to reap steadfast love. This is the rhythm. We sow this genuine goodness of God, and then it comes out of us. It expresses itself through us um, in the, in uh, practical ways through steadfast love. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. This is in opposition to and in contrast to the kind of goodness that uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day had, where they focused on actions and they focused on appearances. And Jesus says, look, there are actions and there are appearances, but this is not the genuine goodness of God. In fact, if your righteousness doesn't go beyond that, then you won't, you won't see the kingdom. But when we do sow righteousness and reap love, it it affects certain things in our lives. Things like anger. No longer, uh, the, the picture that he's painting for us is that no longer are we beholden to that anger, which is bubbling kind of right underneath the surface of our lives. It it, it, um, deals with things, helps us with things like desires that get out of whack or deviate from what God intends. And so these deviant desires then no longer have the gravitational center of our lives. They are just something that are in our lives that we deal with and then uh, move on from. Um, It expresses itself in particular contexts like the covenant relationship of marriage, um, and then how we interact with others in the words that we choose to use so that we are not manipulating people with our words. We are simply people who are yes and they are no. And then even those who are opposed to us, those who are different from us, those who are uh, maybe look different, think different, act differently, those people that we would think are on the other side of the fence, so to speak, God uses that genuine goodness in us at work in us to bear the fruit of love such that even our enemies, we can make neighbors of. And then this is the picture that Jesus has been painting. And now what he does in, in chapter five, verse 48, he calls for the intention to do so. So, Hey, he's inviting us Do you want to be free from anger? Do you want to be free from deviant desire? Do you want to see the most important relationship in your life, your marriage covenant? Do you want to see that um, fall into uh, the the rhythm of the kingdom? Do you want to be a person whose word is their bond? Do you want to be a person who expresses a kind of generous goodwill, even to those who are opposed to you and make neighbors out of enemies? Do you want to be that kind of person? Then, he says in chapter 5, verse 48, therefore, you must be perfect, complete, complete whole as your heavenly father is perfect. He's calling for our intention. Do you want to be this? Do you want to? Then there are things that should be true. And what Jesus is going, this is the sermon that actually helps us pivot a little bit towards the rest um, of Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, What what we uh, are doing here is we understand that there is a kind of wholeness, a completeness perfection is the word that gets translated there, that we can pursue through trust in him. And then he pivots to say, let's then figure out how to make our lives congruent such that what is on the outside matches what's on the inside. What's on the inside matches what's on the outside. Now, today's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day uh, to everybody. A couple of you just panicked. Sorry about that I, like it is valentine 's Day. You can pick stuff up on the way home, but uh, I, I want to set this up the, today's sermon up. did anybody have an encounter with this early on in life? Do you, do you remember your first encounter with this? Now, my first encounter was when I was single digits eight nine years old. Uh, Forrest Gump had not come out yet, and I did not know his wisdom that you never know what you 're going to get. I rolled up to the party thinking that this is a what is it everybody it is a It is a box of chocolates. If you're eight or nine years old and you roll up to a box of chocolates, indeed, what you think you should get is chocolate. You should pick up something from the box of chocolates and it should be chocolate. That's the deal. It should be chocolate. You bite into it as an eight or nine-year-old expecting chocolate and all of a sudden you realize there is a profound lack of congruency between what you expected and what you see on the outside and this thing that is now in your mouth on the inside. Lemon and chocolate don't go together, people. That's what I'm saying. Yes, yes. Let the church say amen. I mean, like you go after a box of chocolates and there shouldn't, I'm not a coconut fan in terms of some of you. Let me just, we've took the, taken this survey and the other two services. So let me pause here. How many of you are fans of this right here? Just go ahead, raise your hand. Yep. We're judging you. It's cool. All right. For those of you watching online, there was a few people in here that you should not be friends with any longer because they got this as a normal. So, so um, you walk and there is a incongruency between what you think you will have, what appears to be on the outside and what actually is on the inside. You shouldn't go eat this and experience coconut or some other crazy flavor. Like you should bite into chocolate and have Chocolate you should have. Chocolate. So Jesus is now helping us pivot. He's turning the corner here to say, you see a picture of life where your life can match what's on the inside and outside. And then let's let's call for your intention to say, Do you want to be these kind of people? Do you want to? If yes is the answer, then let's look at some specific areas of your life. And so this congruency in life is going to shake out over the next uh, 50 or so verses um, uh, like this. There is a congruency in the personal rhythms of your life. This is what we'll be talking about for the next few weeks together. A congruency in, in the personal rhythms of your life. Everybody has personal rhythms. And so how those rhythms shape us and form us They shape us into something and therefore we want to be, we want to have the outside matching the inside. Uh, Secondly, uh, your personal religion as it specifically the way that you are interacting with God around two particular issues, your finances and uh, your emotions. Anybody have trouble at times relating to God in either of those two areas? And then lastly, uh, your personal relationships, whether or not you are engaged with someone and thinking of yourself better than them, whether or not you are engaged with someone and absolutely spinning your wheels in relationship with them, uh, or if you can actually do genuine good to them um, by treating them the way that you would want to be treated. So rhythms and religion, your personal things, and then these relationships. This is where Jesus is going over the next, like I said, 50 or so verses, chapter 6 and the first part of chapter 7. And he pivots uh, on this verse, chapter 6, verse 1. And as he does so, he's making three assumptions. And I want to set them before us. You ready? Beware, he says, chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others, other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in the heavens. You will have no reward from your Father who is in the heavens. So if we're going to live this way, if we intend to live this way, if this is my project that I've taken up and we've taken up together, what are, what are things that are going to be true? How is Jesus moving us? This, how, how does he pivot and call us to a congruency in life? First of all, this is number one, assumption number one. You will actually do righteousness in practical ways. What, what he says in verse one beware of practicing your righteousness. Um, The word practicing there uh, is is actually doing. So you will do righteousness. That's what he says. Some of your translations may even uh, particularly reflect that. You will do righteousness in practical ways. Um, the, The reason why I think that's a good thing to say out loud is because there is a stream of Christianity, kind of a thread, and this is not typically for us as a church family been our struggle. Let me say that. So I'm not pointing fingers, not trying to poke the bear at anybody in here in particular, but there is a thread of Christianity that says, oh God, we want to be really, really good receivers of all that you've done for us, and so I will plop myself on my couch or some other place that's comfortable, and I just go, God, okay, I'm ready. Get after it, like transforming. I'm ready, here I am. I'm really angry, God, and I bit off the head of my kid a while ago, and I can't believe that they posted online, and you know, I, I responded, because that was, yeah, so help me, help me with that. Anything? Some people think that that is the way to experience transformation, and here's what I would say to you, uh, that nobody matures in the Christian life without effort. Nobody. Um, Dallas Willard in his book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy, uh, which has been a... a tone for me. I mean, it, is, it has been a profound influence on my life. He says it this way, that grace is not opposed to our effort. That's what some people think. They think, oh, well, I see if you're doing these things, if you're making efforts in your relationship with God, then you are then trying to earn grace. They see that our efforts are like key cards. Many of you have key cards for any number of the places where you work. It's on your badge. It's on your lanyard. You walk up, uh, you know, beep, and it, you, the door lets you in or whatever. So, and some people think, my efforts, my work of righteousness is the way that I'm going to get into the building. That's not it at all. The reason you have a key card is because God has already done this kind of thing in you and our efforts then are reflective of us doing the things that God wants us to do. And so our our activity, our efforts, if you will, are not opposed to what God's gracious work is in our life. And they're not. Grace is not opposed to effort, Willard says. It's opposed to earnings. Earning is our attitude that says, God, you have to do this for me. Effort is saying, God, I am cooperating with you to do what you want to do in my life. Help me now to do these things. So there, there is an activity in our lives, and sometimes it expresses itself in very easy, simple ways, like passing out bags on Valentine's Day. Um, but it is our faith and the religious life, of, uh, the religious expressions of our life, the righteous expressions of our life, are not passive, They are active. They are active. Nobody matures without effort. Second thing is that um, that there should be a continual trajectory of growth. Now, depending upon how long you've been um, in the faith and been walking with Jesus uh, and how early you started, some people, this was their thought. And again, I'm not necessarily sure it applies to any particular person. I'm just saying, this is generally the case. Some people think they start down here, Uh, you know, when they come to know Jesus and that what they're anticipating is a slow, steady rise in godliness, um, in character, in, in becoming more and more like Jesus. Just a slow, steady rise, always up and to the right. Now, if you've had that experience, I just want to say, I think you're awesome. Most of us, though, start down here, Jesus saves us, and then we go, and we kind of slowly make our way up the the hill, so to speak. It is not a slow, steady rise at all. We have moments of complete um, disappointment. We have uh, moments where we're like, I I can't do it, God, I'm out. Uh, We have moments where we're like, I'm the best Christian of all time. Everybody watch me. We have moments of all of those kinds of things. Mountain tops, valleys, pure bliss, demoralizing struggle. And so what we're not talking about is any particular snapshot of my life or yours. Oh, well, today it's a down day. Sorry about that. I'm what we're talking about, and, and we're not talking about a snippet. We're just not cutting out a small section of your life. We're talking about this, this broader picture, this section of your life. When you look at it, moving, what, what is the trajectory? This is what God assumes, Jesus assumes will happen. When the genuine goodness of God comes into our lives, permeates us, penetrates us, love comes out and the trajectory of our growth is, is, is moving there. Um, we, we know that this is the way of life that we get to do. And the last thing I will say about this, that we will do righteousness and we will do so in practical ways. When God's genuine goodness takes over our lives, part of what will happen is that we will keep walking. We will keep walking. Uh, there's a persistence. There's a consistency. There's a perseverance um, in walking uh, in, in our continual uh, relationship. We will just keep walking persistently. I say that because there are times when we will keep walking even through our disappointment. And and that is what the genuine goodness of God in our lives does, is that it helps us continue to walk even through our disappointment. Sometimes our struggle, the disappointment that we hold is with ourselves. God, here I am again. I stumbled. I fell. I don't think, I mean, are we really going to have this conversation again? And God says, get up. Keep walking. The forgiveness that he offers us only makes sense in the context of actually trying to follow him. I'm following. I'm following. I'm following. I I stumble. I fall. I mess up. I I, I stick it in the ditch. Whatever it is, I, I have a moment there. And then what do we do? I'll just stay there. No, no, no. You get up and you keep moving. That's what forgiveness is for so that we can continue to keep going. Some of us live with a disappointment and Of ourselves. And listen, uh, just pastorally speaking, most of the time, it's not the enemy sticking some really big hairy temptation or sin out here that's a complete life wrecker. It's some really, really small thing that says, hey, 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 do this, do this. Okay, you did it. Good job. And then he just wraps condemnation and accusation and shame and guilt all around us right there such that we get focused on all the guilty feelings that come along with it, not on the sin itself, but on the guilty feelings. And God's like, hey, get up, keep walking. Jesus died for that. Let's keep moving. We, we have to deal with a disappointment in our own selves. Sometimes, though, it's not in our own selves, but it's in others. We find ourselves disappointed with others. Oh, they say they're a Christian. Oh, I can't believe they posted that. I, uh, whatever it may be. And what do we have to do in that moment? We get up. We keep walking because around our house, we have a saying. Here's the saying. Um, Everybody has something. That's, we say that all the time around our house. Everybody's got something. So we see them struggling with their something. Now we don't want them to know that we got something too, but like, so if everybody has something, then every so often somebody's going to mess something up. Somebody's going to fail us. Somebody's going to disappoint us. And so our disappointment in others doesn't become a debilitating thing for us. We just go, yep, everybody's got something. And we get up and we keep walking because we're following the one who's not going to fail us. Sometimes though, it's not disappointment with ourselves or with others, but it's a disappointment with God. And I just want to recognize that in the room right now, Some of you, watching at home, some of you may be at the point where you have somehow or are tempted to disconnect from who God is and what he wants for you to to stop the process of transformation in your own life because you are so disappointed with God. God, we prayed. We sought you. We read scriptures. We fasted. We did any number of things. And we thought you were going to come through for us in this manner. We were praying, God, for this answer. And you gave us that answer. What's up? Did you not hear us? Did we not pray hard enough? Long enough? Did we not fast in the way you want? Did we not say the right words? Was there an incantation that we were supposed to? God, we did this. And we expected this. But you did that instead. Some of you, that's exactly where you're living. And that's exactly um, the thing that will kind of... Push you or, or disconnect you from His transforming power in your life. From the practical expressions of that is your disappointment with God. But listen, if we could stand up, starting over here, work our way all the way over there, you people online, you can email it in, we'll just read it out loud. There will be story after story after story of people who they prayed and they sought and they hoped, they looked for this. But it was that, and that turned out better than this. Just because God doesn't give us what we want doesn't mean God's not going to give us what we need, folks. And so your disappointment, I, I don't want to like uh, downplay the, the frustration and the internal struggle here, but the disappointment that you feel may very well God be setting you up for something far better. Keep walking. That is the thing that I would say to you if you were in the midst of the struggle right now keep walking just keep walking it is because he is with you in the valley of the shadow of death that you don't have to fear that's why keep walking Here's the second assumption assumption number 2 is that you and I we can soak our souls through rhythms that we have As Jesus works through this, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. You'll have no reward from your father who's in heaven. And then he walks through three different particular practices or rhythms. Um, giving and uh, uh, praying and fasting, three particular things. And here's what I would say. There are disciplines that are a part of our lives because what the Holy Spirit is working inside of us is a self-denial. I don't have to give everything that I, or get everything that I want, and a self-control. I can do some things um, or choose to not do some things based upon what I think uh, is best here. Disciplines are a part of our lives because self-denial and self-control is a part of what the Spirit is doing in our lives. See, see, everybody is formed spiritually. And you, you just think about it over the next couple of days as the weather gets bad and many of us are going to be working from home or whatever or not working at all. And you think to yourself, hey, you know what? I am going to binge me some Netflix, whatever show is your favorite. And so what do you do? Like there, there's a rhythm to that, right? Like you set yourself down in a particular place and you've got a remote for your Roku or whatever it may be, right? And, and then you say to your kids, don't you come in here right now. I mean, there are things that you set up. There are rhythms to this. And that will have a formational work an effect on your life. So with um, us spiritually, there are things that we can do rhythms that we can build into our lives that have a formational effect. And there is no real progress um, without these, but with them, there may very well be incredible progress, exponential progress, but it is progress that is at stake. When, When it comes to us building rhythms into our lives, Our growth spiritually is what is at stake. Spiritual progress. That's that's what's at stake here. So just some examples here. Um, One of the things that he'll pick up towards uh, the middle of chapter six is fasting. Fasting, here's what fasting teaches us. Fasting teaches us that what we want, we don't necessarily have to have. When you go through a period of time uh, where you deny yourself food or something else for uh, a period of time, uh, though you may want it, you're teaching yourself, hey, just because you want it doesn't mean you have to have it. Do you think that that has effect on anything else in life? I mean, just if you abstain from food, for instance, do you think that that abstention from food for a certain period of time, uh, fasting, could could help you make progress in some other areas? When you teach yourself that you don't have to have what your eyes are set upon, That has profound effect in some of the other areas of our lives. um, uh, Some of us, uh, and maybe you know people like this, they practice generosity. It's just a part of their lives. They may not be rich, they may not be uh, wealthy by worldly standards, but they give of their time and their treasures and their talents consistently. Do you think practice, well, here's what, here's what generosity does. Generosity has the power, as we practice it, to break materialism and greed off of us. Because we realize, hey, we can hold stuff with open hand and it'll be okay. Do you think that has anything to do in our suburban context with our lives? Progress, or, or a lack thereof, is, is what is at stake here. Um, as we, as we open up God's word and we read it and we pray, um, the things that it says to pray. And we, um, we apply the things that it says to apply as we work our way daily into God's word and it works its way into us. We can find ourselves shifting priorities. Hey, you know, this was really important to me, but I'm looking at it going, I don't know that that's all that important. As I pray about it, as I read the scriptures, I, th- I think actually my priorities need to be aligned over here. And God just changes these kind of things. Some of us walk through trials, and what trials do in these moments is provide us a kind of perspective, things that we learn that other people don't know or a perspective that we have that other people don't. Some of you right now maybe are walking through grief and you're thinking to yourself, man, God, all I know is that if I'm going to take one more step, it's gonna be with your help. And that's the only way that's gonna happen. And what God is doing in you is creating a kind of dependence on him that will carry over into any number of other areas of your life. Progress is what does it say? So if I could draw up a, uh, um, have spiritual growth plan for everybody, this is the figure that I would put before you. And I completely stole this. So I just just say that this is not my own, but um, foundationally, it would be for you and me to spend time daily in the word of God we have as a regular part of our diet intake of the Bible. We discipline ourselves to do so. We read um, the New Testament. We read the Old Testament. We read the parts that we love. We read the parts that we don't understand because it's all true. We believe it, even if we're not sure we know exactly what it means. I mean, we just, we are in the word. And we let the word go to work in us to change us. The second part uh, on the uh, left side of the triangle there, these practices. Jesus identifies uh, three of them here in the, in the middle of, uh, or the early part of chapter 6. Um, fasting and uh, praying and, and giving. And listen, uh, he knows what many, many, many people in many different religions know. Practices do indeed shape us. Those three in particular that Jesus addresses... Um, while while he has something profound to say about them, other people have picked up. I mean, these are three of the five pillars of Islam. Those three things. So other people know, other people see the wisdom in that. Jesus is going to help us. But we build into ourselves these practices. And there are more, not just the three that Jesus identifies, serving and uh, any number of others, uh, solitude and silence, just things. Things that we can do. Practices that we can uh, build into our lives that will help us do things that we can't do on our own. They will teach us to do things that we can't do on our own. And the last one is trials, that we would walk through um, trials. uh, And we would do so with a sense, not that we're happy or joyful, that we're going through a trial. But that in the midst of the trial, not only is God with us, but also he is using it to shape us. This is why Paul could say in Romans chapter 5, I rejoice in my trials. Not rejoice for my trials. I don't throw the flag and go, oh my goodness, another trial. I can't wait. No, we rejoice in our trials. Knowing that these tribulations produce in us perseverance, and perseverance produces uh, proven character, and proven character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And these three things work together. It's a triangle, they, they hinge on one another, they depend on one another. We don't pull one out, we, we practice all of them. So, If I could design your spiritual growth rhythm, it would include these particular things. Third assumption, there will be times when you and I will be tempted to trade real transformation for our own reputation. Here's what he says again, verse, uh, verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your father who is in heaven. You will be tempted at times to trade genuine transformation, real transformation for reputation. Um, There there are two kind of questions here that that, um, we have to get to. One is the question of our hearts. What's going on in here? What is really happening in here? What is our motivation? Um, who are we actually doing this for? Who do we hope gets the glory? And that, this ties back, because some people raise an objection. Oh, well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, people would see your good works and glorify your Father. Who's in? Darn, are we supposed to do these things in a way that people see God? Yes, they're supposed to see God and applaud Him, not you. <laughs> Like they're supposed to see you at work and the goodness of God at work in your life so that you yield fruit and then go, man, what an amazing God. That affects the way that we do things and the context in which we do them and the things that we actually do. It affects all of that stuff. But we want people to end up with glorifying God, not us. We we live, folks, for an audience of one. My niece got engaged last night. There will come a time where she will walk down an aisle. She will be in a beautiful white dress. It'll be awesome. We're going to celebrate that. It'll be incredible. Whenever I do a wedding, we come to the rehearsal time and there's you know the knuckleheads over here and there's the girls over here who are all giddy for their friend. And I just say to everybody, hey, listen. Like, This is not the moment to be funny. This is not the moment to pass the ring or whatever, like all that crazy stuff. Like, There's one person on whom we should fix our eyes. The girl in white. If you're ever wondering where am I supposed to be standing or where I'm supposed to be looking, just look for the girl in white. This is not the time to be a distraction or whatever. Just look for the girl in white. It's her day. She spent her whole life planning this. Let her have her moment. This is where you're supposed to be looking. Folks, we have an audience of one. That's it. We're looking for the one robed in white. We want to do what we do with him in view. And there may be other people who applaud. That's fine. But we want them to be applauding in a way that God is the one who gets the glory. There may be other people who say, man, you're, you're such a good person. And we just say, you know what? There is a genuine goodness of God at work in me that is transforming me. That's why I do what I do. It's a question of the heart. Second question. is the the question of rewards. In other words, what do we genuinely want? He says, um, if you do them to be seen by men, not if men see them, but to be seen by men, then you'll have no reward from a father who's... What do we genuinely, genuinely want? If we act out if we practice righteousness, if we act out the genuine goodness of God to be seen by others, it will neither be genuine nor good, nor of God, all of those things. And in fact, God, it's according to chapter six, verse one, right here, God will be perfectly content to withdraw himself because he won't show up on the agenda. It won't be him that we're concerned with. And he won't concern himself with what's going on in that moment either. He will let us have the adulation of men. But folks, listen, if we love our reputation more than we love God, we will lose both. Do not, Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Even this week, somebody with profound reputation and ministry impact. Posthumously stuck it in the ditch, folks. He will not be mocked. If some people think that reputation equals character. It does not. Reputation does not equal character. Character is the only thing that you get to take with you. What do we genuinely want? Our reward may be joy. Um, It it may be transformation. It may be more than that. But we need to do it so that God is the one who gets the glory. There were, uh, I don't know, it's probably been eight years or so. I was flying somewhere to um, preach, and Jack, our oldest, was with me. Uh, we were in an airport, changing planes, and um, stopped to take a bathroom break, washing hands there, and a guy walks up beside me, and he says, uh, uh, excuse me, as we're washing hands, I kind of nod, and he does nod, and I'm like, that cat has on a Medal of Honor hat. I'm like, I, I mean... I got to ask, sir, you have on a medal of honor hat. Are you a medal of honor winner? Well, yes, sir, I am. Introduces himself. This is back when we could shake hands. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. Introduces himself. I said, sir, it's a real honor to meet you. Can I introduce you to my son? He's sitting outside waiting. Oh, I'd love to meet him. So we walk out there, take a picture. He introduced out of his little uh, briefcase thing. He pulls this. It's a picture of, um, LBJ presenting the Medal of Honor to him with his commendation um, underneath here. And, uh, you know, I mean, people don't typically live and get the Medal of Honor. That's the thing that I was just stunned by. Um, and so I'm sitting here talking to him. And we talk. And at the end, here's what he said. He goes, look, man, I, I just I keep these with me and give these out to remind people. This is what he said to remind people that the country's worth fighting for. And here, here's the thing. He didn't sign up for the army and go fight in Vietnam to win a medal. He certainly didn't sign up to think, oh, I, I'm going to stand before the commander-in-chief and he's going to put this around my neck. Rewards weren't really his focus at all. He just hands these out to remind us that there's something worth fighting for. Church family, listen to me. The rewards that Jesus is talking about, genuine transformation, joy of God toward us and in Him, and more, and more. The rewards, listen, those are reminders. Those are little things we pull out of our briefcase in conversations and just set before people to say, hey, there's something that's worth it here. There's something worth it worth fighting for here. There's something worth engaging in genuine work to see the goodness of God at work in your life, transforming you. This, this is worth it. It may not be comfortable. It may not be, I mean, it may be terrible circumstances in which you have to walk, but listen, it'll be worth it. This, this is what God has done in Jesus. And when we trust him and follow him, it will be worth it. It'll be worth it. So, What is he asking of you here? Do you see the picture of life as it can be? Do you hear his call this morning to say, hey, is this what you want? Is this the life you want? Because this is the life that he offers and it'll be worth it. Let's pray together and then we'll have a brief song of response. Father, for um, the sake of everybody here who and everybody watching online, everybody that you've put your finger on this morning, everybody that you've spoken to and you've challenged, everybody that you've called for their intention. Do you want this kind of life? God, I pray that you would give them the faith to say yes to that. And for some, it will mean immediate release and freedom in ways that they've never known. For some, it will mean more struggle before the freedom comes. But God, either way, it'll be worth fighting for. And so for every person here and for everybody who's watching online, I pray, God, would you give them the courage to put their yes on the table and keep it there. For their life, on the outside, to be congruent with their life on the inside. We commit that to you now and pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.